Well, it is great to be back with you, church, and I'm going to resist the temptation to introduce myself again. It's been a long time since I've been up here, had a wonderful sabbatical this past fall, and just the opportunity to preach this week, I was, I was pretty amped up preparing this message for you and thinking about being up here before you all once again. You know, it's interesting, it was several weeks ago, I was driving in with uh, our guest speaker, Jason, and he asked me, well, what, what is it like to, to preach at Palm Vista? I said, first of all, Jason, you will feel welcomed. And if you come preaching the gospel, you will be received and you will know it. I sense that you're going to feel at home. And it is great to be home, church, to be home before you all, my home church, and be able to preach to you this morning from Psalm 37. And the title of today's message is A Portrait of the Meek, Psalm 37. Well, church, words are curious things. The word meek or the word meekness is one of those rather curious words in our English vocabulary that many of us, well, we, we struggle to define. What is meekness? Sound, even the word itself sounds a little outdated, doesn't it? A little antiquated, or at least a little unfamiliar, perhaps, to the modern ear. Furthermore, maybe you're here and you're just wondering, is meekness, is it really a good thing? Would I want to be described as meek? You know, if I said, Elsa, you are so meek. Is that a compliment? <laughs> or is that a critique? I mean, how do you receive that? Well, some people, I think, primarily think of weakness as, well, weakness. A, a mildness or a, a, a passivity. You know, as if the meek are the human pincushions of the world. They're the human punching bags. You poke them, you prick them, you punch them, and they just, they just take it. Others, you may equate meekness with, well, the wise, the contemplative, the, the Yodas of the world, so to speak, of Star Wars. You know, or, or the Buddhist monk who sits under a tree all day and wouldn't harm a flea. For others of you, you just equate meekness with a personality type. You know, the, the meek are the, the shy, the introverted people of the world, as opposed to the loud, party-loving extroverts. Church, if that's what you think meekness is, could I ask you just to press delete right now, discard that image or those images, put them into the trash, all right, this morning. For today, we're going to receive a biblical portrait of meekness from Psalm 37. Why is that so important? It's important to understand or that we may properly worship God. To properly worship God, we need to understand what meekness is. To understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to understand meekness. Listen, when Jesus wanted to unveil to the world what his followers were like, you know what he said? In the famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 5, he said these very familiar words. Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. When King Jesus wanted to characterize the inhabitants of his kingdom, he spoke about meekness. And in doing so, I believe Jesus was referencing, alluding to, even citing Psalm 37, verse 11. In fact, I believe this Psalm 37 provides us with a wonderful and quite clear description of meekness to which Christ is alluding. And in doing so, we are shown that meekness, it's not just a good thing. Meekness is is in fact a godly thing. Possessing meekness as a follower of Christ is what allows us to worship in technicolor. If we're going to worship God, with all the full range of emotion, if we're going to worship God in all the complexities of life, yeah, you need meekness, and I need meekness. So I'm on a mission this morning, you could say, to recover the biblical meaning of meekness. Not because I'm some linguist, I'm not, but because I'm a follower, a worshiper of Jesus Christ. Friends, meekness is what God wants for us. But please catch this. Meekness is what God is committed to producing in you, O fellow believer. With that in mind, let us pray. Well, dear Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts now to receive the very words of your scripture that you would have for us. Lord, I'm reminded of James in the book of James. He was one who was well acquainted with meekness, for he was the brother of you, O Christ. And he said these words, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Lord, we ask this morning that you would implant your word deep into our hearts, that we would know what it is to be those who are blessed, to be the meek, to be those who worship you in technicolor, in the good and in the bad, we pray. Amen. Let's read Psalm 37. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. It's a long psalm, but I believe, church, that the first 10 verses really lead to verse 11. And this key verse 11, which speaks of meekness, is really what I think the psalmist is getting at in this psalm. And these verses are really a composite picture that lead us to verse 11. And all the themes of this psalm, I think, are found in these first 11 verses. So with that in mind, let us read. Starting with verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord And wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger 
and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you carefully, you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So who are the meek? Well, as I believe we learn in the first 10 verses, we'll put up on the screen, the meek are those who stubbornly trust, who tenaciously trust in and patiently wait for the Lord. Why do I say stubbornly trust? Well, look at the very first verse, church. We just read it. It says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. We live in a fallen, we live in a sinful world characterized by much evil. A lot of bad stuff. I don't need to tell you that. You know that. But you know what else? We're prone to worry, aren't we? We're prone to fret. We're prone to fear. But notice the second part of the verse. This is curious. Be not envious of wrongdoers. This implies something, doesn't it? It implies that we are tempted at times to be envious of wrongdoers. Well, why would we as Christians ever be envious of wrongdoers? I think we are or can be because at times it seems like it's the evil who are prospering. We read in verse 35, go down in the same Psalm 37, these words. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man, catch this, spreading himself like a green laurel tree. A wicked man? Well, isn't this a picture of, of growth? Isn't this picture of a green laurel tree, one of vitality and health? Wait a second. I thought it's those who fear God. It's those who receive his word. It's those who are like trees planted by streams of living water. I mean, Al preached on that, right? In Psalm 1. The wicked? What's going on here? Now, let's face it. We live in a complex, in an often confusing world where it can seem like the unjust, the oppressors, the abusers, the falsifiers of information, the liars and the cheats. They seem to be winning or living with impunity. And it's hard to make sense of it all. I mean, we hear in verse 2 of Psalm 37, the wrongdoers, oh, they will soon fade like the grass. And that green laurel tree in 35, read verse 36. It will pass away. But we see no evidence of it now. And we struggle. On a personal level, I think we struggle similarly as well. We struggle to make sense of our own circumstances. The news of cancer. A miscarriage. A business failing. And all the while, it seems like those who don't fear God, they're getting richer. They're having healthy babies. Or they're the ones living in the safer 
neighborhoods. And we can be truly tempted, can't we, church, when we're brutally honest? And we can believe that God, maybe he really doesn't distinguish between good and evil. Or we have this thought. Is God, is he really for me? I mean, and all that's happening, and maybe he's against me. Oh, church, if you've had that thought, you're having that thought now. Let's go to verse 3. There's words of truth for us and encouragement. Verse 3 through 6. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Notice in these verses, who we call the trust? The Lord. In my Bible, in the ESV, the Lord is in all caps. That's to communicate that this word is a word for Yahweh. Churches is a personal name. Trust in Yahweh, your covenant-making God. Trust in the Lord Yahweh, the promise keeper. Yeah, this is personal, church. Trust in the Lord, the one who has redeemed you. The one who has promised to do good to you. The Lord who is for you and did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for you. That's the Lord we're talking about. You see, the meek, they are those who know that God is for them. And they trust him. You know what this trust does? It's an amazing thing. This trust releases the meek from the burden of unanswered questions. This trust helps them overcome their doubts and their fears. And this trust we're talking about allows the meek to act. Did you notice the action verbs here using these verse? first 10 verses, they're all manifestations of what trust looks like. Do good, dwell, delight, commit. Church, there's nothing passive here about being meek. Not as described in this psalm. This is full throttle Christianity. There is a godly ambition and delight. And it starts with doing good. Doing good, first sub point there. The meek, knowing that God is for them, Oh, they're free. They're free to serve. They're free to give. Read on in the psalm, the generosity of the meek. And they're free to do good. They're free to do good, even in a world of evil and injustice. The meek aren't just commanded, church, to to grin and bear it, you know? Just be the human pincushion or the punching bag. They aren't commanded just to, well, meek, just lay low. Until the trouble passes and evil will be no more. No. Do you see it? The meek. Oh, they do good. They do good in the world in which they live. They pursue justice in the face of injustice. They do good and fight for life in a culture of death. They work honestly and do what is right when everyone else is cutting corners and cheating their neighbor. The meek. They're loving their neighbor and they're loving their God. And that leads to the next subpoint. The meek dwell in the land. I love that phrase. And befriend 
faithfulness. They cultivate faithfulness. They feed on faithfulness. You see, the meek realize that God has placed them exactly where he wants them for a time such as this. The meek are very aware of the good they have received and the good that they are called to do right where they live and dwell. The meek learn to trust the Lord. The meek learn to be all there. The meek don't learn to escape. The meek learn to engage. They dwell. They befriend. Or it says in the NASB version, they cultivate faithfulness. They know what it is to work hard. And they know what it is to wait for the harvest in green pastures. But please note, none of this means that the meek will never flee from imminent danger. This does not mean that the meek will never have desires or the meek will never have dreams that will take them elsewhere. That's not what's being described here. What's being described here is not a complacency that keeps the meek in one place forever. But it's a contentment that allows the meek to be in one place fully. See the difference? This isn't complacency. This is divine contentment where God has you. That we may be fully there. That we may dwell in the land, on the earth, feet on the ground, and do good right where God has placed us. As an expression of our trust and worship of him. And it's this divine contentment that keeps the meek from exhausting all their energies, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. I mean, we can do that, can't we? Just exhaust it. Well, I don't get it. I don't understand. Instead of trying to answer all of life's unanswered questions, the meek know a secret. They got a secret. It's this. They know what it is to delight in the Lord. The third set point there. Learning to delight in the Lord. It's the first step in seeing those very dreams and those very desires that you have. Why? Because godly desires always flow from godly delight. That's the way it works. See, this delight that we're talking about, it's taking inventory of God. It's taking inventory of his goodness and of his greatness. It's remembering. It's what we do when we receive the word of God. It's what we do here on Sundays, right? What do we do when we sing? We're taking inventory of God, of what, he, what he's done and who he is. We're reminding ourselves. It's what we do when we renew our minds in the word of God. We are taking inventory of God and who he is because we forget. And we need our minds renewed. And so we take inventory. And so we delight. It's why we need to gather on Sundays as a people, as the church, corporately to remind each other of the goodness and greatness of our God. And as we do that, you know what happens? God forms his desires in you. And we are assured that God will fulfill the very desires and the very dreams which he has birthed in your heart. And we can rest. 
And we can rest as the meek. With all that said, we're still human. We delight at times. But even as we delight and we take inventory of God, we still have burdens, don't we? Real burdens. We live in a fallen world. We still have real enemies, personal enemies, enemies of the gospel. And thus we are told, last set point, that the meek commit their way to the Lord. If verses three and four, which we just read, are pictures of the divine contentment, I believe verses five and six are a picture of vindication for all those who trust in the Lord. See that word commit? It's a really cool world and cool word in Hebrew. It means to roll or to roll away. To commit means to roll. To roll what? We'll hear the quote from John Piper here. Love this quote. Meek people have discovered that God is trustworthy. So they roll their way, their business, their problems, their relationships, their health, their fears, their frustrations. They roll all this onto the Lord. They admit that they are insufficient to cope with the complexities and pressures and obstacles of life. And they trust that God is able and willing to sustain them and guide them and protect them. How much time do you spend worrying when you should be rolling. Rolling those burdens, those concerns, those anxieties onto the Lord in prayer. How much time do you spend obsessing about that matter when you should be rolling, rolling that matter onto God in trust? I believe this is another way really of saying Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of you are familiar with it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your straight, your paths. Church, and maybe some of you this morning, you're leaning when you should be rolling. You're leaning on your own understanding. You're leaning on yourselves when you should be rolling those current, those concerns, those burdens onto the Lord. I just imagine, just, it's so easy isn't it, to take the concerns of the world on shoulders and God says, no, like an earth ball. Just roll them, roll them, roll them to me. Trust in me for I am for you. See the, chi- excuse me, the meek, they know how to roll. They know how to be free. But how do you know if you're failing to do this? How do you know, how do I know if I'm failing to place my trust by rolling my way, my reputation, my business, my ministry, my family, my concerns onto the Lord? It's good to know yourself, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you, I'll speak for myself in this one, okay? How do I know when I'm not rolling? It's this. For me, it's a loss of humor. Now, I'm not too funny to start with. So let me tell you, 
I can't afford to lose a little I got, okay? I'm just being honest with you. So if I'm losing my humor, it ain't much. I'm a very intense individual. My wife will affirm that. Our household is intense. I love the words of uh, one author, Gary Thomas. He says this, being stupidly serious is a mark of being stupidly forgetful. When I'm stupidly serious, I have forgotten who my promise-keeping God is. I have forgotten to roll my burdens and ways onto the Lord. You see, to be silent and stupidly serious, it's not meekness. Sometimes it's just being stupidly forgetful. You may not be aware, but this psalm we're reading is alphabetic. In other words, the first verse, first, verse, first word, first letter starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. Verse 3, Beth, the second, and so on. It is written as a memory device. Why? To keep us from being stupidly forgetful. Okay. <laughs> to memorize it, to sing it. that we would remember, church, remember what awaits the meek, that we would remember what will befall the wicked. And that leads to point two. Patiently wait from the Lord. Verse seven, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Let's look at that first part there. Be still. Perhaps you've heard the command coupled with this phrase many times. Be still and know that I am God. We read that in Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The meek know that God will be exalted. And one way in which he's exalted is by executing his perfect justice and distinguishing between good and evil repeatedly here in psalm 37 we hear the evildoers and by the way when i say evildoers i'm not talking about just the sinners in general okay i mean i want to be clear here we're all sinners all right what's being spoken of here and by the way as christians we're perhaps the most aware that we're sinners in our desperate need for god's forgiveness and grace What is being spoken of here when it says evildoers is those who don't fear God, but those who do not belong to him. Those who've been given over to their own destruction. It's those people, the evildoers, where we read will be cut off. It is they who will be condemned and judged at the end. There'll be no more. Can't go there, just jot down. Verse 28, 34, and 38. They all use this language of the evildoer or wrongdoer. But there's also a contrast being made that we must get in the psalm as well. It's the meek. It's the humble. It's the God-fears. They will not be condemned. Oh, they will never be forsaken. Verse 25, verse 28. The meek will be delivered and the meek will be saved. Verse 40. Thus, the meek patiently wait. Who do they wait for? You know it, they wait for the Lord. 
But in waiting for the Lord, they're also doing something else. They're waiting for their inheritance as well. What is that inheritance? What's well, in Psalm 37? It's the land. That's rather curious again, isn't it, for us? What's that about? Seems a little odd to our ears. But for any Jew reading this, they would have understood the land and the Lord, the land and Yahweh are inextricably and intimately linked. To possess the land is to possess Yahweh. To possess Yahweh is to possess the land. But notice here that this promise is future-oriented, isn't it? They shall inherit the land. See, I don't think the psalmist is talking about Canaan, the land they already possessed. No, this talk of inheriting the land points us to a future day. Church, it's the day in which every Christian longs for. It's the day when Christ will return to earth to make all things new. It's the day in which Christ will return to dwell with his people and to make the earth, the land, his abode. It's a day when believers, all those in Christ, will reign and rule with Christ under his blessing in this land which he has prepared for his people. Friends, the focal point of the promise is not real estate. It's Christ. Christ with us, dwelling in the land with us as our inheritance forever and evermore. So the weak, the meek, yeah, the meek can wait. And there's nothing passive about this waiting, is there? In fact, that word wait in verse 9 could be translated as hope. It conveys a sense of heightened anticipation and expectation. What does that waiting look like? What does it look like in your life? What does it look like in my life? I think it can mean just a, it's a steady calm. It, it's a confidence, isn't it? A confidence knowing that God will work all things together for good. It's a life that's largely free of bitterness and of anger when life doesn't go your way, when we are maligned and we can't seem to make sense of our circumstances. It's a life, love this phrase, stole it, free of frenzy. It's a life free of frenzy because we know how it's going to turn out in the end. And we know that which awaits us. Now imagine, go back to last Sunday. Imagine watching, I'm talking to you football lovers, okay? The Super Bowl last Sunday. And you knew who was going to win in advance. Not talking about the people who just watch for the commercials, okay? That's fine. Talk about those who are in the game, right? Okay, you're watching the game. Imagine if you already knew the outcome. How different would your viewing experience have been knowing the good guys were going to win? The Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> All right, played my hand there. All right. Well, okay, I can tell you for me, that fourth quarter, my viewing experience would have been a little different, okay? If I would have known the outcome ahead of time. I could just feel the tension rise. I mean, the Patriots are so good. Like, here they go again, fourth quarter. Here's the comeback. I've seen it so many times. And all seemed inevitable. There was no calm. <laughs> there was no rest until that last play was over. 
Every unsuccessful play by the Eagles in the fourth quarter, every successful play by the Patriots was drama. And it only fed the frenzy. Church, that was just a game. Frenzy might be fun for football, but it's no way to live our lives. Because in this text, we're not talking about a football game. We're talking about the future of all mankind, of you and of me. And as Christians, we know the outcome. Christ wins. And all those who are united with Christ by faith will join in the victory parade. And the victory will be theirs. I'm afraid there might be some of you here and you're living as if you don't know the outcome. Every setback, to use the analogy, every turnover, every perceived advance of the enemy, whoever that enemy is in your life, and you're undone. Life is all drama. Life is all frenzy. And there's no freedom. There's no surety. The church, the meek, they know the outcome. They see the end game. And there's peace. I love how it's described in verse 11. Abundant peace. You see that? But the meek shall inherit the land. See that conjunction? And delight. There's that word again. Delight themselves in abundant peace. That promise, abundant peace, that God desires for his followers, it's that Hebrew word, shalom. That shalom speaks of a peace, of a wholeness, of a joy, which comes from living under God's rule and blessing and trusting in him. You see, when Jesus cites this verse in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us that that peace can be ours. Now, we can experience it, church. It's the possession of the meek. Blessed are the meek. Flourishing are the meek. Shalom filled are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. So what does that lead us in conclusion? It leads us to this amazing, wonderful truth. If you're here this morning and you have placed your saving trust in Christ Jesus, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ is committed to producing such shalom, such abundant peace in your life. You can. But if you're here and you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you too can know such peace. That peace which has eluded you your entire life. But it's going to mean something. It's going to mean turning, repenting from your sin. Your sin against a holy God. And taking Christ's life as yours. Recognizing and believing that Christ, it's his life and his sacrifice by which you are forgiven on the cross and by which your life can be made whole. Shalom. That too can be yours, friend. And for each one of us here, I also want to bring a word of caution as we close. It's very easy to hear this message 
And I think this is some kind of conditional promise to the meek. Oh, this is one more thing that I must do in order to gain God's eternal favor. Okay, Cor, I got it. I got to be meek. That's not what's being described here. There's something you may have to do this morning. It's not become meek to earn his favor. And maybe repent for your unbelief, for your failure to trust in God. You've taken the world upon yourself and the unanswerable questions and the complexities of life and you've tried to bear it yourself. And you think in doing so, you're a martyr. God's saying, I don't want you to be a martyr. Not that way. I'm, at, I'm calling you to meekness. I'm calling you to roll. And you, have, you haven't. And you're suffering. Others of you, you hear this command to delight. And, and when you're honest, I don't know if I've really delighted in the Lord in a long time. You might not say it this way, but this is what you're thinking. You know, when God gives me the desires of my heart, in dreams, then I'll delight. It's not the way it works. Delight in the Lord and that he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what else he'll give you? He'll give you grace. Don't miss this. This passage is a portrait of the meek and in giving you a portrait, God is giving us the outworking of grace what it looks like in the life of his followers. Of what it means to live in the good and grace of a Lord and Savior. What we're given here is a vision of what grace produces. It's a vision and it's a portrait which Christ holds out to every person here. It's how he wants us to live. It's what Christ has modeled as one who was meek and is meek. And it's also what he is making us. Church is called meekness. May that be yours. May that be mine. Amen? I'm going to pray and invite the worship team up. I'm going to pray in just a second here. But the worship team, you can come up and we can sing how rich a possession. We're going to sing a last song. But as we do that, there may be some of you here this morning. You need help. You need help rolling those burdens onto the Lord. We want to be there for you. We want to help roll, okay, this morning. It'd be a very appropriate time, just a few moments as we sing, to turn to a trusted friend or family member. Or perhaps to come on up. And we would love to pray with you. We'd love to bear your burdens but in a way that we're together bearing it so we can then roll it onto the Lord, that we can commit our ways to him and that God would build our faith. So if that's you and you just need a little encouragement this morning, we would love to pray for you. That in mind, let me pray and then we'll stand. Well, Lord, I think in many of us, there's a realization that we cannot will ourselves to change. But Lord, we know when we take inventory of your greatness that you are indeed for us. That the inheritance you have in store for us is beyond our wildest dreams. There's something in us that changes that we can't do. Faith rises and we trust. So Lord, we realize 
We're incapable of willing, of changing. But Lord, we ask that you would do your work now as we sing of these glorious truths of the wonderful possession that we have in Christ, our treasure and our inheritance. And may you use that to call us to yourself and to roll those burdens upon you and to trust in you as those who are meek and as those who are blessed. Amen. Let us sing now. And if you'd like prayer, I'd like to be here for you, Al, David as well, and minister to you.